Hi, and welcome to the Personalized Care Podcast, a new series brought to you by the Personalized Care Institute. My name is Bogdan, and together we'll explore how to adopt a personalized approach to care, one that empowers people to have more control over how their care is planned. Evidence suggests that personalized care leads to benefits including better health outcomes, improved compliance with advice, and more satisfied people, carers, and healthcare professionals. For this special episode, to coincide with Armed Forces Day, we're discussing an often sidelined topic, veterans' health. It is estimated that there are 2.5 million veterans living in the UK, But for a number of reasons, they don't always get the right support from the medical profession that they should. But as you're about to find out, asking one simple question could make all the difference to their care and treatment. My guests today are Brigadier Robin Simpson, who is an RCGP clinical champion for veterans healthcare, and to give us a personal experience of both the military and social prescribing, I'm also joined by Ashley Manning, social prescribing GP link worker. Thank you both so much for joining me and sharing your experience. Robin, I'll come to you first. Where does your passion for veteran health come from? Bogdan, thank you very much. Last year, I retired from the army after 35 years as a military GP and served all over the world. And in about 2010, I got volunteered to go to a conference. Uh, One of the things about the military is you never volunteer for something. Uh, But I got volunteered and I went to this conference, uh, which was run by the British Legion. And at the conference, there were 10 patients, all who had PTSD from uh, the Falklands conflict. And when they found out I was a, a GP, they gave me a really, really hard time because they all told me that their diagnosis of PTSD had been very delayed because their NHS GP just didn't know anything about military mental health, they didn't know anything about PTSD, and there wasn't actually anywhere to refer them to anyway. But their main complaint was the GP's lack of understanding. Now, I'm passionate about being a GP, and it was the first time I I realised that GPs just didn't know anything about this topic. So as a result, I um, put together a leaflet, sent it to the RCGP members, and I thought that was the problem solved. I thought every GP now knows about it. We then did a survey of GPs, and of course, no one had actually read my leaflet, and we hadn't moved on. So in 2017, we, we trialled a programme in the Midlands, where I now work, where we accredit practices as GP veterans friendly. And it's been a huge success, and the programme is now rolled out nationally. Veterans really appreciate their GPs having an understanding that serving in the military does mean that when you leave the military, you could have medical problems that need need help. Not every veteran's got a problem, but many do. In fact, there are 2.4 million veterans. That's approximately the same number of diabetics. Now, if you asked an NHS GP how many veterans they look after, they just wouldn't know. So as a result of this program, we're encouraging every NHS GP to ask, particularly new patients, have you ever served in the military? The other thing that's happening is NHS England now have a good program to help and support veterans, particularly around mental health. So not only if the GP can recognise that a veteran has a problem, particularly a mental health problem, NHS England now has some really good referral pathways. 
So our programme of accreditation is about making GPs more aware of the special needs of veterans and more aware of the services that are now available. The King's Fund did some research which was published in January that showed that if you served in Iraq and Afghanistan, you're far more likely than the general population to have PTSD. And as you're now being looked after by your NHS GP, unless your GP understands PTSD, understands the effect that that's going to have on a patient, and understands what referral processes are available, then that veteran won't go get help. And of course, under the military covenant, uh, there is a requirement to make sure that if you have served in the military, you're not disadvantaged. So we as NHS GPs actually have a responsibility to take this on. There seems to be a huge lack of awareness. And it, it, this is something that I, I can see, Robin, how it's playing around the whole healthcare spectrum as well. Um, so not just in primary care, uh, because often those patients will end up in, in hospital, in the secondary care environment as well. And so I, I believe that there's purpose to expand um, this to, to other healthcare professionals as well and to raise awareness of, of these numbers that you mentioned that um, are 2.5 million veterans living across the UK based on the, the latest statistics which is incredible and um, so it seems that an inf a first important step is ensuring we identify veterans in the first place and um, so what practical advice could you offer to our audience for identifying veterans both within primary care but also perhaps thinking about the hospital environment or maybe even the community setting you know that simple question have you ever served in the military doesn't cost any money and although it is helpful if you have some understanding of the military, you know, at least recognising that someone was in the military and the medical condition that they're presenting with, maybe a mental health problem, may be related to the service. Rather frustratingly, veterans don't tell you that they're a veteran unless you ask them. And if you do ask them, they're actually very proud. If you're doing a home visit and you see a picture of a soldier on the mantelpiece, and just asking that question, who's that? And I think it's about having the confidence that although you may not know anything about the military, you don't need to be an expert, you're just showing an interest in the patient's background will give you a much better understanding of why they may be presenting. It's helped if you actually do know what additional support might be available, that would be helpful, but it's about having that confidence to ask that question, have you ever served in the military? And the patient will be really impressed that you're asking that question and you already will be making a difference. That's a brilliant top tip and, and, and what a simple way um, to get to the bottom of this really. It's a no-brainer but again one that lacks um, from our undergraduate and postgraduate education um, but also one that we should be aware of. So, um, so that simple question there plays a crucial role. And so Robin, thank you for that. Now that we have learned a bit about um, identifying veterans in the first place and given the unique risks that veterans are exposed to um, during the service, could you give us some practical advice regarding the existing support once identified um, and services that are available that our audience could consider when caring for veterans? Okay, so a, a veteran is defined as anyone that served one day and half of veterans are over 65. So you tend to think of veterans as the, as the old person at the cenotaph for their medals, but actually half of veterans are under 65, about 5% of the population. So the services that now are available I've concentrated on mental health because that probably is the big, biggest issue. It could be musculoskeletal problems, injuries picked up, physical illness, but it is mental health that's top of the list. And a lot of the issues are alcohol related. Um, so getting through that alcohol related problem, you know, the patient that presents drinking too much, 
family's fallen apart, he's lost his job, and it is typically male, you know, actually asking that question will suddenly be a light bulb moment in making you realise why the why, why the patient's presenting. You know, the NHS have got a very comprehensive mental health service, which as of April this year, we've termed op coverage. And there's a mental health pathway for those that have just left the military, those that are more than six months left the military, and those that are in acute crisis. And basically the commitment is that you'll be seen as a maximum within two weeks by NHS England, by these mental health services. For other things, if you have an injury, say, if I've got a damaged hip, which has been made worse by my service, if the NHS GP puts that in the referral letter that the person's a veteran, it is based on clinical needs, but the fact that they're a veteran may mean that they get more rapid access. So actually raising the profile of the veteran as a patient under the covenant will make sure that they get more rapid access to the services that are available in the NHS. So it's all about that awareness that this person has got a medical condition which has either been caused or being made worse by their service and therefore they're entitled under the covenant to that rapid access. You mentioned something that caught, caught my attention earlier when you, when you said that half of the veterans are under 65. What springs to mind for me is, is always PTSD, but you mentioned the other range um, of, of illnesses that are there and you know issues with, with money, issues with alcohol, um, perhaps musculoskeletal problems as well. It's interesting and important to realize that there's a, a wider range of issues that are out there, um, many of which can be supported uh, both within the, the primary care setting but also within the community environment. I want to go next to uh, our expert from the community at the moment. So Ashley, it's, it's a pleasure to have you um, here with us. I know, Ashley, you are a link worker in the community, but also a veteran yourself. So first of all, I wanted to hear a bit more about your role as a link worker. So tell us what you do on a daily basis um, to support patients in the community. Thank you, Bogdan. Um, yeah, so I'm a social prescribing GP link worker. Basically, my role works around a conversation of what matters to me. So it's really getting to know that person and understand what their issues are. Sometimes it can be a misconception that unless you see it, that must be the problem when actually it could be something completely different related. And I think the main parts of my work is getting to know people and working alongside them. So I don't identify the issue and go, okay, you have to go here. This is the only way we can solve this. It's working in partnership with that person to take ownership of their own health and well-being. That's definitely music to, to our ears in terms of working together with a patient, co-design, co-creation, co-partnership. And it's truly getting to know the person and getting to know, like you said, what truly matters to them. And that's something that we often forget because in the hospital setting, certainly for me, and I'm sure Robin will agree in the, in the primary care setting as well, we often seem to be putting people in boxes and trying to find out what, you know, what's the matter with a patient and finding the diagnosis instead of, um, of finding out what truly Really matters to them which is what you do um, on a daily basis so what are some of the unique needs that you think veterans may have that community interventions such as social prescribing perhaps could help with when I was in I, I joined the army at 16 so when I left I was in my 20s and my friends had all gone through this this different culture of finding work going through university making the, those friendships within the community and I think Veterans are, they're drilled and they're trained for anything and everything apart from coming back home. So I didn't know how to write a CV. 
I didn't know how to explain the skills that I had learned into civilian life. Um, another thing that sort of rings personal to myself is money matters. When I was serving, my rent and my bills would come straight out of my wages and what was left was mine. So veterans can be notoriously known for spending their money on nice things. When you do get a weekend off, you go out and you treat yourself. And then realising the actual cost of coming home, of paying rent, of paying bills, of tax, it can be quite a big shock and you, you're not always prepared for it. I know it was a shock to myself. Even down just to day-to-day -day activities, you're told where to be. It's very regimented, it's very scheduled. You know how your day pans out. And then you come back home and you're essentially given free rent. You're allowed to spend your day how you want to spend your day. And that can be difficult because a lot of veterans like to keep busy. They're used to working, they're used to moving towards a goal. And when you don't know what that goal is and there's no one there to acknowledge your previous experiences, might not understand it, but just acknowledge it and support you with it can make such a difference into finding your feet in civilian life. And Robin, can you tell me a bit more about the resources that you may be aware are available within the community for veterans? The RCGP is accrediting GP practices in England as veterans friendly. So a practice needs to nominate a clinical lead, show an interest in veterans, ask that question when they get a new patient, have you ever served in the military, and then use the right code in the computer notes so that when a patient is seen, um, they will know that they're a veteran. As part of the accreditation process, then we will train the clinical lead in the practice on what resources are available, and we'll give them an information pack which covers lots of things, including those mental health services under Op Courage, which I mentioned. Now, the reason that I've picked on GPs is every veteran has a GP. So making the practice more aware of veterans will be go a long way to, to meet the needs of veterans. At the moment, the majority of GPs don't know who the veterans are. So everything revolves around that recognition and that then accessing the services can happen if you know that the patient's a veteran in the first place. So it's, it's about raising the awareness in primary health care that the patient is a veteran. And, you know, if you're making a referral to physiotherapy or you're making a referral to the hospital, just adding that information to make sure that whoever is going to be treating this person thereafter recognise that this patient's a veteran and the reason they're presenting may be related to their service. At the moment, we've got about 15% of all practices in England are, are accredited. So there, there's work to do. But I think that our programme is making a difference and certainly the veterans think that that is the case. Ashley, how do you map out further resources and what kind of resources are out there uh, both locally but also nationally? So I think it's important with social prescribing that we have that link to the community as well as to the healthcare. So we will go out and do the research, we will make those community connections to find services and when possible, if that service isn't there, creating one. So if we had, say, for instance, a group of veterans that wanted a running club, we would help give them almost a toolkit of how they could set that up, how they can become that group. And I think it's a really important side of things that we're building that resilience within the community, and that includes everyone. And it's making sure that people know that helping hand to find that support is there and possibly creating that support themselves, both 
locally and nationally. And I think it's important to know that not one size fits all. So what might work for one person doesn't fit for another person. And it's finding those connections and doing that work. And it's a bit of trial and error. You know, it's you have to try different places. We have to come up with new ideas and identify the gaps in services that we provide. How does this really work in practice? So if social prescribing is thought of as a an option, um, how do people refer to you in the first place? Most of my referrals come directly from healthcare professionals. Um, so I think, like Robin was saying, it's the healthcare professionals identifying that that can get them to that right support, even if that is the little bridge to get them to myself as a link worker so that I can then step back and take that time with them. Social prescribing link workers can deal with more complex issues. So that can go over months worth of support. And it's very important to, yes, start with that initial issue that they've been referred to, but breaking it down, finding out what else is going on. Is there things within their home environment, within their work environment that's causing more issues to arise? I think once veterans see that someone has made that effort to try and understand, they will be open and accepting of that help. It's just that initial stepping forward. Veterans train, they're drilled, and then suddenly they're told, go and sort it. But they don't know where to start. It's a completely alien world to them. And having someone, you know, I know healthcare professionals are quite stuck with time restraints. You know, it's a very busy industry and having someone else that can go okay I know a little bit about everything let's work together on this and move forward is one of the best ways that we can support veterans. And it appears to me there's a recurring theme in here because I know social prescribing can also be reached through self-referral as well but based on what you say about the armed forces culture as well um, there would be a hesitancy into coming um, you know into the first place there because of a, perhaps of a lack of awareness of the services existing around but also as you said they would be a bit hesitant to, to reach out for help in the, in the first place and so we all have to play our part in recognizing veterans in the first place and they will start engaging and we could all play a part in that. What are your most useful tips I think that you can share for our healthcare professional audience at the moment i think for myself it'd be quite an easy one of just listen like really listen to what they're saying because veterans might be dropping hints because they can't openly say i need help they're not going to stand there and shout from the rooftops that they're a veteran and they need support and i think it's just it's really listening to what that person is trying to say and supporting them through it can i also come to you um, robin as well well, I really echo what Ashley said, you know, just that listening and the holistic listening to absolutely everything. But I think I go back to, to the question that, I, that, that I, I've already said, just asking that question. Have you ever served in the military? And then listen, listen to the answer. And it will make such a difference. And the patient will be so impressed that you're actually showing an interest in the service. And suddenly everything will come together. You mentioned a bit about the, the, the armed forces culture and, and some of the things that are often, you know, becoming a stereotype for the general public, uh, but they're often the simple things that we don't think about. Um, what are some of those things that uh, perhaps you can help us understand more about? I think, um, yeah, the, the armed forces culture is very much like a family. You have that sense of community and having your friends there to help support you w whenever you need it. and. 
you know, everyone goes through the same thing. You're in training together, you're out on ops together, you're all living it. So you all understand that feeling. And then coming back home to try and explain to your friends and family what you've been through can be very difficult. And they may not have to fully understand it, but I think it's just acknowledging and being respectful of that to understand what you've been through. Um, Even simple things like the armed forces humour cannot always come across as nicely in civilian street. And having people understand that without having to bullet point it and sort of go into it is quite difficult. And I think, yeah, it's that sense of culture. And I think especially as social prescribers and in healthcare, we need to know that they can move that culture into civilian culture as well and be accepted. So Robin, what do you think about this? Often people join the military to escape something. You know, the difficult circumstances. We, we recruit largely from big inner cities. You leave the family and go back to whatever you were trying to escape from. Um, so that leaving the military, that time of transition is a particularly difficult time and a particular time when you, when you likely need help. You left your home circumstances and then you're going back to whatever you left behind. And that is often a particularly stressful time when when things go wrong and people need help. So, you know, transition is, is a difficult time. It's very interesting because you pointed out something very important there, which is it's probably the most valuable resource that our healthcare system currently has and one that social prescribing is offering through amazing people like yourself, um, through link workers, which is time. Um, it's something that's become such a, an expensive resource and something that's very rare to find certainly within our days, both within the hospital and primary care as well. And it's something that um, offers the, the patient the true, a true opportunity for us to, to get to the bottom of what truly matters to them, like you pointed out earlier. Um, so thank you once again for everything that you do um, and for the patients that you support on a daily basis. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from both of you in the future and certainly more on the educational aspect, because as I said, I wish I had something about this in my medical school training, but also when I graduated um, and, and when I became a doctor in the end. Um, and hopefully we can, we can um, join forces with your audience to uh, create further resources for veterans out there. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you to Robin Simpson, RCGP Clinical Champion for Veterans Healthcare, and Ashley Manning, Social Prescribing GP Link Worker, for sharing their experiences today. And don't forget, the RCGP has a veteran-friendly practice accreditation program, which offers free and easy access to all GP practices in England. You can see the episode details for more information on this. We truly hope this conversation has been valuable to your learning and that you're now ready to apply for your personalised care certificate of learning or log your CPD points. Visit the e-learning portal on the PCI website to record your evaluation and to access many more learning courses and resources. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook too. All websites and social media handles are on the episode page. We'll be back in our next episode with some more inspiring guests and another exciting topic to help you to empower your patients to get more involved in decisions about their care.